Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. Hello, welcome to NeuroRounds. I'm Dr. Christy Snyder calling, and this is round 19. So we've had 18 rounds before this. We've gone over a lot of information, so I thought it'd be fun to take a moment uh, this week and kind of have interactive pop quiz uh, kind of theme where we go back over some of the goalposts in the brain to see kind of what generally different regions are responsible for. And kind of go back over some of the things that we've talked about over the past 18 weeks. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. So it's interactive, so I'm gonna ask questions, shout out the answers. All right, so first, what is this region of the brain called? Parietal lobe. Good job. What is happening in general in the parietal lobe? So somatosensory on the right side, there's prosody processing. This is your association cortices where a lot of things are happening with attention. Um, navigation, you get symbolic manipulation with math, math and calculation. And then the precuneus as well. So within the parietal lobe, we have this region. It's the anterior portion. It's just posterior to the central sulcus. What is happening in this one? It's the somatosensory cortex. So remember when we went over the somatosensory, I think it was uh, week two, we talked about Mr. Homunculus. So in your brain, there's more surface area devoted to regions of the body that are more sensitive to other regions. So your tongue and lips uh, occupy a lot of space, whereas like your back and your arm doesn't really, not very that sensitive, so it doesn't occupy that much cortical space. Okay, this region here is really important for us specifically. Um, it is. Yes, it is. And why is the precuneus important, especially for us? Social process, social cue processing. Yes, so it's really important. Uh, we see it for PTSD patients. So it's how you perceive yourself in relation to the environment. Um, it's kind of our whole personality. It's our imagination, self-consciousness, reflecting on past memories. And so we'll see a lot of activity with the dipoles and connectivity in this region uh, for people who have PTSD and developmental trauma and things like that. It's a very interesting uh, part of the brains or part of the association cortices as well. Okay, moving on to another very large region. What is temporal lobe? Great. Okay, so what's going on in the temporal lobe? Lots of things again. Auditory processing. Auditory processing. What else? Memory. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we've got uh, memory, emotions, language processing. Um, we have the uh, limbic system is back up in there. Um, so you have Wernicke's area, which links words to their semantic meaning, as Eric mentioned today. In case study, it's really where we see a lot of epileptic seizures. So let's dive in a little bit deeper. So there's this region. It's kind of hard to see 3D depth, but this is the auditory cortex. 
Um, it is kind of wrapped up in there. So when, our, when we did the uh, round on the um, audition, we went and kind of traced the pathway from all the inner ear structures up through the pons, the inferior colliculus, uh, medial nucleus, and up into the auditory cortex, which is wrapped up here. Um, we also went, talked about the inner ear specifically. We talked about in the uh, cochlea, uh, we have the um, high pitch frequency waves at the base and the low pace at the uh, low, I'm sorry, the low frequency waves at the apex. So if you think about a wave, you see the high frequency ones at the base and the lower ones hit at the apex. So it may, and then you had this uh, tonotopic mapping. This is maintained all the way throughout that whole pathway up into the primary auditory cortex. You see here, again, it maintains that tonotopy. So that's reprocessing basic sounds, frequencies. You go to the secondary auditory cortex, you have more um, complicated processing, sound localization. It's where it takes the time that sound hits one ear and the time hits the other ear. And so you can uh, kind of see localization where the sound's coming from. And also the analysis of more complex sounds. Okay, this region in the temporal lobe. The Wernicke's area, yes, Eric's on a roll today. All right, so I just mentioned Wernicke's. What does it do? Auditory processing for semantic. Right, so it's, it's uh, tying words to their meanings. So when you have Wernicke's aphasia, you're fluent, so you're saying all kinds of words, um, but they're just not making any sense. You're picking the wrong words. It's what we call word salad. All right, very good, very good. Okay, this is a bunch of structures really deep in the temporal lobe. Any idea what this group of structures might be? This is the limbic system. And what does the limbic system do? Emotional regulation. Emotions, yes. So it has a group of structures. We have the olfactory bulbs here. We have the hippocampus, amygdala, basal ganglia. Uh, this is for, for smell, memory, fear, and reward, uh, motivation, and uh, voluntary movement. Uh, and all these structures here. So we'll go a little deeper dive. So there's this region, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, it might be rude for me to make you guess. Uh, it's the interrhinal cortex. But now that I've said it, do you remember what it's related to? Emphasis on the remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is uh, what links uh, the cerebral cortex to the hippocampus. Basically it funnels all the information to the hippocampus. It establishes a directory so that you can access the distributed information. So remember, there's not one neuron for a specific memory. It's distributed throughout the brain and what's called an engram. And so this helps you find that distributed pattern of information uh, that we call memories. It's also related to uh, spatial reasoning and uh, spatial um, knowledge. Okay, so that was the interrhinal cortex and that funnels information to the hippocampus. And this is really important for uh, encoding and consolidating memory. And it's learning. This is a part of the brain that is constantly creating new neurons throughout your entire life. So most of it starts early, I mean, stops producing neurons earlier, but we do still see a lot of neurogenesis in the hippocampus because we're always learning new things. So when we talked about memory, we talked about this guy. We talked about him twice. We did one in the memory decline a lecture and then one of the memory lectures. Anybody remember who this gentleman is? He's really important for memory research. Mr. H.M. 
And do we remember what happened to Mr. HM? Was he the one that had seizures or they split the brain? He did have seizures. And what happened is they had uh, took out his hippocampus. So do you remember what uh, symptoms he had after? So they kind of took care of the epilepsy, so that's a win. Um, so before HM, they thought the hippocampus was just kind of limbic in nature, so emotional. But then after HM, they noticed that he had problems doing what? Making new memories. What kind of memories? Semantic. Yes, long-term semantic memories. So that's like going back and saying, what did you have for breakfast yesterday? I can't do that, but <laughs> you're supposedly supposed to remember things that happened. Um, but so he couldn't uh, establish and consolidate uh, long-term memories. But he did have two kinds of memory that was maintained. Uh, anyone remember what two kinds of memory he was able to maintain? Uh, so there is working memory, right? So he can remember things for a short amount of time, uh, but he just could not consolidate it into long-term memory. And also procedural memory. So how do you do skills? Uh, he was able to maintain that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Mr. HM, don't forget him. He's important for memory research. Uh, he pretty much kind of flips every, the script on. It was very uh, fascinating. Okay, when we talked about, when we did our memory lecture, we talked about a um, mnemonic to help you remember the first four elements of the periodic table. It's the method of loci little uh, task we did. Did anyone remember this one? Okay, so number one, we had, so the method of loci is we take a very familiar place and then you associate things you're supposed to remember with different parts of the very familiar space. So we're assuming that this is a staircase you went up when you were a child and you know it well. So what you would do is first, you, remember, you would associate the first thing you're supposed to remember with a place in uh, your memory. So let's say top of the staircase reminds you of the sun. What is the sun made out of? Hydrogen. <laughs> and it was the first um, element on the periodic table. So then we move down the stairs and we see these balloons in our mind. And what are in balloons that float? Helium. Then we imagined that there were batteries rolling down the stairs. And what are a lot of batteries made up these days? Lithium. All right. They're like, well, then there's... A berry smashed on the wall over here. And that reminds us of element number four, beryllium. So this is just a way to help us uh, remember and get things in to the hippocampus so that it's consolidated. Okay, so moving along, we have these two almond-sized structures. Amygdala. Amygdala. And what does the amygdala play a role in? Your response. Yes, yes. So fear, anger, rage, and sadness is really important for learning. So it associates stimuli with, um, you know, the fear and aggression. It helps us to recognize and avoid threats uh, when it's um, acting as it's supposed to. Sometimes it gets overreactive, uh, like in PTSD or in phobias, and it kind of goes all haywire. Uh, but we will definitely see this with some of our uh, PTSD and developmental trauma patients. It's also important for feeding and autonomic functions. There's another region called the insula that's uh, really important. Uh, it plays a role in compassion, empathy, self-awareness, pain cessation, sense of agency, plays a role in disgust, um, has social experience, norm violations, and um, also is related to emotional intelligence, so ability to identify feelings within yourself and others. So we'll see some activity here um, in depression 
and um, things like that. So it's tucked back in there. All right, so this is another difficult one I didn't want to have to make you guess. So this is the basal ganglia. It's a group of structures again. What is the basal ganglia associated with? Uh, it's actually like riding a bicycle. Okay, movement. Um, movement in general. And do you know what um, uh, syn syndrome or illness is associated with it the most? No? Okay, we'll give you hints. Parkinson's. This is voluntary movements and habitual behaviors and emotions. So it helps you to kind of uh, intermediary between thoughts, sensations, and reflexes. So damage to this uh, general group of structures related to Parkinson's, Tourette's, and Huntington's disease. So I won't make you identify all the different regions in here, but we will go through them briefly. You have the caudate, which integrates spatial information and motor behavior. It's part of the reward system, so it uh, plays a role in motivation and decision-making, and it helps to refine movements and reduce unnecessary movement. The putamen is involved for initiating movements and learning new motor behaviors. It also uh, refines amplitude so you don't overshoot. So I want to pick up something. I don't go way out here. Globus pallidus, it inhibits unnecessary motor contractions, so it helps reduce tremors and jerks. Nucleus accumbens, uh, again, part of the reward network, so this plays a role in addiction. What happens is it releases dopamine when you've done something satisfying or rewarding. So again, it's associated with addiction. We went through a whole addiction pathway when we went through the limbic system, so if you have any questions about that, you can go back to that round and uh, look over it again. Substantia nigra, this is really important uh, for Parkinson's. So this is uh, one of the hubs of the GABA and dopaminergic pathways. It's uh, important for movement initiation and timing. So when you have Parkinson's, you lose neurons in the uh, substantia nigra, and that makes it difficult for you to initiate and maintain intentional movements. So we talked about deep brain stimulation and how this is a target for deep brain stimulation as a uh, treatment for um, some Parkinson's patients. Okay, back to quizzing you. So there's this structure right in the middle of the brain. What is this? A thalamus. Thalamus, yes. And what does a thalamus do? That's the, uh, where all of uh, information comes in to be processed to the right places. <laughs> Absolutely, it's the big relay, grand central station of the brain. So everything goes in there except for smell. And it gets distributed over throughout the cerebral cortex, wherever it needs to go. So it's a very important structure. So when we went through uh, this segment on the thalamus, we talked about how different segments of the thalamus uh, kind of responsible for sending information to different portions. So we'll, a lot of, uh, so the anterior, the front here, and the lateral are important for emotional and limbic. Posterior sends information to the occipital lobe and also the auditory cortex. Uh, the ventral um, underneath, it's important for the motor cortex. So everything goes there and figures out where it's supposed to go. Okay, so this is kind of a weird angle. It's another very deep um, structure. No, it's a hard one. Is that the hypothalamus? Yes, you're gonna get it. I stole it from you, I'm sorry. Hypothalamus, okay, so what is it responsible for? That's hormones and releasing. Um, yes. Yeah. So it interfaces between the central nervous system and the endocrine system. So it governs the secretion of different hormones that maintain all kinds of things like homeostasis, so your temperature, uh, it regulates hunger and thirst, circadian rhythms, 
also bonding, uh, mostly between uh, mothers and their babies, and sexual hormones. Um, so when we went over the, uh, the system, we went through all the different subsections of the hypothalamus and what each different uh, part contributes to. So some of them are more important for sexual hormones, other for hunger. Uh, so every little segment plays its own role. Okay, this is the brainstem that includes the medulla, the pons, uh, and the, in the midbrain, so it's all here. So this indicates a lot of really important structures. So you have all of the ascending sensory pathways from the body up to the brain. You have all the descending pathways from the motor cortex back down. You have connections to the various cranial nerves. So we had a, a round where I went through each of the 12 cranial nerves. I uh, talked a bit about the trigeminal nerve. Um, so there's lots of information on that. Also really important for us is that it's the home of the reticular formation. What does the reticular formation do? So that communicates with our motor movement. Okay. More globally? Arousal. Yes. So it kind of is what sets up whether you're awake or asleep, how attentive you are. Um, so it starts here in the brainstem, but then it goes out all the way uh, throughout the cerebral cortex. So it has two parts. It has the inhibitory and the excitatory. So if the inhibitory is not working pro properly. Then you'll not be able to inhibit as well. So then you'll have symptoms of ADHD. Whereas if the excitatory part is not working well, you'll appear passive and fatigued. Um, it's also, you'll see a lot of this in PTSD patients. So it'll be overreactive. You'll have exaggerated startle reflex. Uh, you won't habituate to repeated things. So if someone, if they're hammering outside your house or something, you'll get continue to startle. You also had dysregulated sleep. So insomnia, nightmares, frequent awakenings, if there's a trouble in the reticular activating system. Okay, this is an easy one. Frontal lobe, great. So what all is a frontal lobe responsible for? You get the route just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, executive functioning, personality decision-making, motor control, memory. So a lot of stuff that makes us human. Um, so this is a part of the brain that kind of separates us from other animals, uh, its size. So there's different segments of it. So down here, what region is this? Anybody remember this one? The ventral medial. It's orbital frontal, but it is on the ventral portion. So it uh, plays a role in uh, processing the consequences of our behaviors. So it helps us to adjust uh, our behaviors to reach a specific goal and helps us do kind of social behavior and decision-making. And it's also been linked to depression uh, because it kind of relates to how you perceive or appraise social situations. We have this region here, inferior frontal. It's kind of generally response inhibition. Uh, there's a dorsolateral uh, prefrontal cortex in this region too, is uh, again, response inhibition. Uh, middle frontal, goal-directed behaviors, uh, reactions to external events. And then this one, I'll let you guess. It's related to language. Oh, it's broadcasting. Yes, it is. So what happens when you have Broca's aphasia? <laughs> we are a star student here. Someone else. So we've already gone over Wernicke's. And so this is expressive. So when you have a Broca's aphasic, how will that manifest? 
So these are the ones who have a very hard time finding words. So there'll be lots of pauses and they'll have to find a word. They usually pick a more general term. So instead of saying my niece, they might say my kin because they can't find a specific word for it. They can find nouns better than verbs, um, but they have a hard time finding. It's kind of like tip of the tongue constantly. Okay, so central sulcus, right? We already went over what this was. And this is again, somatosensory. sensory, okay. Now what is this portion of the very posterior part of the frontal cortex? You're right, motor cortex. So this is all the uh, uh, motor, uh, somatomotor uh, strip for when we do uh, nerve feedback. So the motor cortex, so just like there's a sensory homunculus, there's also a motor homunculus. So regions of uh, the body that can be moved occupy a greater uh, surface area in the motor uh, cortex. So fingers and hands, very dexterous, very fine movements. Um, tongue and lips, again, lots of movement. So it occupies a lot of space in the motor cortex. So there are lots of other regions that are important for motor movements. So first you have the uh, parietal lobe that kind of per, uh, processes the sensory information. Then that information moves up to the frontal lobe where you plan a movement. You go to the premotor cortex, which organizes sequences of movements. And then the motor cortex itself is responsible for initiating specific movements. So you have to see it, make a, a goal, plan how to get to it, and then do it. It's a sequence of events. So there's a whole network of um, areas that are responsible for that. There is another part of the brain that is related to motor control. Hello. Yes, good job. We spent a lot of time talking about the cerebellum. It has three different homunculi and uh, the vermis and out to the um, other areas, the lateral hemispheres. So uh, basically what the cerebellum does is it compares your intended movement to the actual movement and then kind of fine tunes your movement. It's important for uh, fine dexterity. When you have damage to the cerebellum, you'll have ataxia. So you'll have trouble in initiating uh, movements. You'll have trouble re regulating force and range. You can't sustain rhythm, so you won't be a drummer. You can't also brace against uh, forces, so when something pushes on you. But the cerebellum is not just for movement. They've actually found it's involved in lots of things. Um, so we have memory retrieval, language and verbal working memory, classical conditioning, um, sequence learning even. So it's a very fascinating uh, part of the brain. Um, in lower animals, it kind of is responsible for almost everything. Um, it's called our little brain. And so what it translates to. So a lot of really interesting things happening in the cerebellum. Last but not least, we have this region, occipital lobe, and that is important for? There we go. Okay, so we had two weeks on vision processing, but when we had the second part, we went over the what and where pathways. So information comes from the eyes back to the occipital lobe. You have V1 and you say, is something there or not? and then it progressively gets more complicated and complex. And so what happens is you move up toward the parietal region with association area. And this is again where spatial information is being processed and you get to say, okay, where is it? And how's it moving? Is it moving? And then you have the ventral what pathway. So in this example, something's coming at you, it's moving at you high speed, it's white, it's a baseball. But also down here you have like the fusiform face area, 
the periapical campal place area. Um, so we have lots of regions that are specific to identifying specific kinds of objects as well. So y'all did a great job. You've been listening over the past 18 weeks. So that's wonderful. Now we can know how kind of generally what um, regions of the brain are responsible for what kinds of things. So I think moving forward, we'll maybe get a little bit more clinical and start going over um, some brain regions that are generally associated with some uh, various uh, diagnoses. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Rounds podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens, where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.